0: Web 3.0 is the natural evolution of the internet. It's built upon the core concepts of decentralization, transparency, and utility. And while swimming in this Web 3.0 ocean, we may discuss about DeFi, DApps, DeX, on-chain, off-chain, smart contracts, altcoins, tokenomics, DAOs, and diamond hands. But our focus will be to the central theme of Web 3.0. The Web 3.0 ocean podcast is at the intersection of audio, blockchain, community, and data. I'm your host, Sashwath, and I will have candid conversations with some of the blockchain alchemists of our current times. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. We have Nick as our guest today. Nick is an optimistic futurist, longtime teacher, and lifelong learner. He was a founding member at EvenGov, a services DAO that supports crypto projects with DAO formation and progressive decentralization. Currently, he's working on his new project, which is called his HATS Protocol, Hi, Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I happened to meet you during um, October, November last year, especially when uh, we were part of the OnDeck Community Building Fellowship and you were our facilitator. So um, I would love to know a little bit about your uh, background in the Web3 space and uh, why does it really excite you?
1: I started in in Web3 full-time at the beginning of last year and I've been excited about DAOs since I Someone really shook me and told me about them uh, back in March of 2017. Uh, some academic friends who were really excited about decentralized autonomous corporations and basically this idea of having leaderless, managerless groups of people getting things done together and using algorithms, using software and automation, and uh, really met my interest in artificial intelligence, uh, which has been a main focus throughout my life. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. It took probably like four hours to like get the concept into my head. And I've just been watching to see like when things would become more exciting. Um, there are a lot of like full stack frameworks that had been developed in the in the short term after the DAO hack. And then uh, at the beginning of last year, I had uh, moved away from uh, an AI startup that I was working on and I, and I saw what was going on in the DAO space with MetaCartel, DAO House, Raid Guild, uh, Panvala, and and some other ones that I was like originally exposed to. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is it. It's happening right now. I got to get involved. So I started to do that and then started to try to figure out what are the challenges in DAOs right now? And governance was like the main thing that I thought was a, a big problem. So, okay, well, you know, governance is hard to begin with, trying to figure out like who are the stakeholders, what authorities should they have um, kind of overlapped with my previous experience as a, I was like a parliamentarian and a meeting facilitator and and an organization facilitator. And then I kind of like zoomed into governance. I was like DAOs and then opened up DAOs. I was like, oh, governance. And then I zoomed into governance. I was like, that's a whole problem in and of itself. It's like all this different experimentation happening. And then I found reputation and I was like, oh, okay, reputation is going to be the thing. And then I, that zoomed into its whole, it's a whole discipline and field as is happening now with the DID stuff, VCs versus SBTs, all these interesting questions around uh, reputation systems. And then I zoomed in further than that. And I said, okay, what what's interesting here is actually the automation of particular DAO decisions that leverage reputation systems in order to accomplish a specific goal. And the most interesting use case for that, in my opinion, is the automation of delegating particular authorities to individuals so that they can get things done on behalf of the DAO. So moving away from this kind of full consensus voting structure to um, empowering a single individual or a pod uh, people to get things done as kind of a seal team, come back and and make sure that the DAO is able to move forward. And uh, the missing piece for this is, is uh, on-chain explicit authority delegations, which is what we're doing with Hats Protocol. So I kind of like worked my way down into this uh, rabbit hole of you know, what is what's missing in DAOs, and now Hats is kind of the bottom of the rabbit hole so far. Working on that, and then. Going to try to work my way back out of it and, and hopefully revolutionize DAO governance. Well, not, I, I won't revolutionize, but hopefully we'll see an emergent revolution in DAO in governance along the way. That's kind of my backstory.
0: So uh, quite curious. I mean, uh, you had um, some experience with EvenGov and now with uh, HATS protocols. So there's so many DAOs in the ecosystem, right? There are protocol DAOs, there are service DAOs, social DAOs, and a bunch of investment DAOs and grants DAO, etc. So when you actually finalized that this is the piece that you love to go deep into, did you touch upon any other DAOs as well in terms of, um, you know, getting a taste of uh, the governance uh, within those DAOs which are in the spectrum?
1: Definitely. I've done, I've kind of like tangentially, you know, this like what does it mean to be a DAO member or a DAO contributor? So I've like jumped into a lot of different DAOs. I'm in, you know, so many discords that that's not really being in a DAO. I think most of my learning comes from EvenGov by way of working with uh, Sifchain and SifDAO, uh, Raid Guild uh, by helping with the tokenomic design and mechanism design, and like the strategy and process orientation within Raid Guild, which is a freelance dev community that operates as like one of the best and original service DAOs, And then starting kind of a bunch of different smaller projects like the Dia uh was just trying to use curation mechanisms as part of a DAO to signal boost the things that were the, curated by the community. And also talking to lots of people in the DAO space and learning from what they're doing. I'm a part of Groundwork, which is a kind of a community, a DAO of DAO uh, stewards and leaders and contributors and summoners who are sharing knowledge about what's happening in the space. And it's really one of the things I love about it. It's very values-aligned people who really see the possibility of a disruptive innovation in human coordination and moving toward that goal not just trying to make a quick buck Um, so I'm, i'm very excited about that group and that that you know credit to i think a lot about value attribution in in terms of the systems that we're designing so i would i will flow value to each of these groups when we have those mechanisms
0: in place. Excellent, I think DAO is definitely a decentralized digital entity where people from different parts of the world come together for a common vision and mission, et cetera. Starting from scratch in a DAO is a very complex game. I mean, as easy as it actually seems from the outside. You rightly mentioned, right? You just get into a discord and then actually contribute. But how do you start from day one? Uh, I mean, uh, you even taught this to a bunch of folks. so. If someone asked you this question like, uh, okay, Nick, you have uh, you know started DAOs, you have uh, been swimming in a lot of DAOs, you are sold to the ideology of the DAOs as well. So if someone had to start from day one, is there a template or a playbook or what are the, some of the areas that they should really look into?
1: We're still really in this exploration. I think the, the caveat that I have to start with is like the design space of DAOs is 95% unexplored, if not more. We're figuring out what the best practices is, are, and we're and we're forking the stuff that has worked or the templates that have worked. But I think the best DAOs have yet to be started. And what's interesting about this bear market is that maybe some of the best DAOs um, are going to start soon. And that's the kind of like very exciting or like we you know world-changing, revolutionary DAOs might you know for the coming decades might be started in the next six to twenty-four months but there's kind of some key challenges, coordination challenges to overcome. And that's what I think where a lot of the design space sits. So if I'm starting it down today, I would say, instead of trying to conjecture, I'll just talk about what we're doing with HATS. And HATS isn't a DAO yet, HATS is a project. And Spencer and I kind of like control the passwords to the various, like the GitHub login and the Twitter login and, and the and Telegram group, right? We're there's, it's not decentralized we're, there's a multi-sig we have, you know, two of two multi-sig, right? Not decentralized. So it's not a DAO. And what we're doing is like just going quickly through getting the base things set up. So trying to talk to people to understand what their challenges are around this idea that we have and trying to get the initial contracts developed and try to build a, a small but tight knit community of people who we really respect and um, have great ideas, or either they were thinking of this themselves or they immediately saw the value and they started to ideate with us how to write the code or, or kind of the technical architecture. And we've been hosting a town hall every other week and say like, hey, you know, whoever wants to come from our community, uh, we're going to just talk about what the latest is. And if it's only one person or if it's 10 people, it doesn't matter, but we're just going to have a chat. And we'll keep just like posting stuff in the group to this very small, tight-knit community so that you can see the momentum. It's a little bit like um, building with the garage door open, like a kind of startup meme where it's like building in public, but it's not it's not public, public. It's just building in the public of our community. Um, and that gives a little bit of accountability and momentum and sometimes like some cheering on and sometimes like really formative, important questions. And then also now contributions, uh, small financial contributions, and, and now uh, we had our first code commit from some, someone in our community uh, to the open source repo and that was really just like a very exciting moment for me. We have a Gitcoin grant up, but the main thing is like, we just have the the pieces, there's not, we make a DAO and we won't need to share power or resources well and we don't have that much power in hats, so we don't have that much resources in hats, that many resources in hats yet, so the risks, the decentralization risks are low. And I'm sitting here biased as a summoner of this thing that I trust myself to hit the decentralization button when the time is right and I, I trust Spencer to do the same and I think our community trusts us to do that. But there's a sense of not sacrificing speed for decentralization at the the earliest stage. There's nothing to decentralize yet, basically. Once the contracts are alive and we get maybe not the M V P should ship in the next week or two and after that, you know, there start to be maybe more resources or more important protocol parameters that need adjustment. Then we have power and resources that we need to govern in a way that's capture resistant. That then we'll start to think about different things. But in the meantime, it's just, you know, we just get the ball rolling. It's a cool project. We're doing it open source. I think that's an important aspect of DAOs. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that uh, you actually laid out how the early days of a DAO formation uh, feels or seems like, right? I mean, a bunch of folks who are really sold to a particular vision or a mission, they start from a very centralized uh, framework because you just have like two or three people, right? So once you start off, then thereafter, you have those foundational blocks set in that give your community way for the decentralization as well. So that's the obvious way to actually start a DAO as well. And um, I like the concept uh, where you said that in beer markets, uh, some of the revolutionary uh, DAOs will be coming up. And uh, definitely I've been studying, especially in the digital realm, how money and power flows in the internet. And uh, especially when you understand how it actually flows within the DAO as well, it's much more fascinating as well. So that's an exciting element. And uh, Nick, you mentioned about that you have a little bit of AI background, am I right on that? Yeah, that's right. Could you explain that a little bit as well?
1: So I I fell in love with AI when I was 17 uh, and I saw uh, very famous AI thought leaders talk about the exponential curves of AI and how exponential curves of compute and, and internet connectivity Data would evolve into basically artificial general intelligence. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like, uh, that's my purpose in life. Like, that's the thing I most want to work on. And that's evolved a lot uh, since then. But mostly when I think about what, like, I think about my purpose, when I think about like my mission in life personally, I think about helping humanity transition to the post scarcity economy. And the how, as I often come back to uh, creating a symbiotic relationship with super intelligent AI. And one of the reasons I'm most excited about DAOs is because I think that in as much as the innovation of the smart contract when the smart contract was invented, we got this capacity to make credible future commitments to one another. I think that what was going to happen is that we we're going to be able to make credible future commitments to an AI and, and receive them. And Will actually be able to create that symbiosis programmatically with with AI using basically the structures that we're creating in, in DAO governance, and decentralized governance broadly. So that's that's like the burning fire in me that brings me back to this this space and, and the investigation of the the nooks and crannies of you know even reputation and and what I'm working on with hats now.
0: Got it. Got it. Uh, the reason I asked that is because. I'm currently part of Ocean DAO, where one of the founders is an AI researcher, and he has spent almost a decade of his lifetime, uh, you know, learning about uh, all these uh, technologies as well. And uh, his name is Trent, and uh, Bruce Spawn is the other founder as well. And that was my first exposure into a real DAO where, you know, the proposals were actually sent out, there was quadratic voting. Uh, your uh, DAO members or community members actually voted for it. You could actually see it. Then it uh, gets passed. And it was a real life experience. This was my first experience in the DAO as well. So that was much more fascinating and um, exciting to learn. And uh, the good part of a community where a lot of um, AI researchers are, they really go very deep into fundamentals as well, like, um, you know, just not the voting and the democratic part of it, but uh, how liquid democracy works, how how every element has a replication at a later point in time and how every user case actually goes ahead. So these are very, very interesting uh, things. And the good part of being in a DAO is just that uh, you meet people from where you can actually learn a lot from them as well. Uh, contribution is definitely a good part, but um, you're surrounded by like-minded people from where you can actually learn uh, stuff on a daily basis. And uh, that really uh, helps you in your, uh, you know, intellectual growth as well.
1: hundred percent. And it's uh, so interesting because we talk about shared resources, like a DAO helps us uh, share resources and share power. Like that's kind of what the fundamental of a DAO is. And I think about resources as capital, knowledge, and attention. And, you know, capital is, is obviously quantified, like the whole idea of any RC20 tokens, et cetera, et cetera. Like this is a really wonderful, interesting thing that is kind of very still nascent in the process, even NFTs, but there's an, another element of it, which is like the aspect of the way that knowledge moves through a network. I think of a DAO basically as a network and the graph of the network and the way that knowledge traverses the graph It's like this fascinating exploration for the intersection of DAOs and and AI. So what you're saying is like, yeah, we can learn a lot from being a DAO. But I would take that another layer deeper and say uh, we actually have an opportunity to innovate on the ways that knowledge moves through networks as uh, part of human coordination in DAOs for our individual learning and also for our, our collective goal achievement when a DAO is trying to accomplish something.
0: Wow, well, I like that point. Uh, I'm just curious, like, um, in terms of the resources where a DAO has a treasury and you see a lot of their tokens getting, you know, spent out or sent out to all their DAO members, you can use a tool like ODNAP or any other thing and actually see that. But knowledge graph, I'm not 100% sure. Is there any tool already made? Or are there any thoughts around those?
1: There are lots of interesting tools in this space. I think something that's hard about visualizing a knowledge graph is really hard. And roughly speaking, I would say Rome Research and then the spin-offs of that like Obsidian and, and LogSec are pretty good visualization tools for a knowledge graph. Not in terms of like click on the graph view and you see the nodes because I don't find that view that useful. It's often inspiring, but not very useful. Uh, more so that um, as a human being to be able to traverse the graph uh, by looking at a node and seeing the relations fra- between that node and other nodes is, uh, is like a really interesting uh, way to immerse yourself in the graph. And I, my friend, Ollie, who's here in, in Miami was sharing this really cool idea, which is that you have a, you, as a human being, when you navigate the world, you have your first person view, which is like walking around. And then you have like, or if you're driving the car, you also have GPS, which is the third the third person view. So in the uh, Rome research is like the first person view of the graph, and then like they present they give you like this, you know, the third person view, which is the nodes. It's not that useful. And Ollie said, what we need is a better third person view of a knowledge graph. So to answer your question, I don't think that exists yet, but I'm really excited for when it does, yeah, you know, when it will.
0: Absolutely. Which means that there's a lot of opportunity on the table as well, especially to uh, you know shape a product around that. So i um, uh, quite curious. I mean, you love to teach. Uh, you like the education spectrum as well, right? Uh, just not being a learner, but also a teacher at times. So definitely I sense that, you know, you might be interested in that knowledge graph area as well, if some tool really comes out. But quick, curious on some other elements as well. So um, uh, you have been dabbling in DAOs and these areas um, for a good amount of time. Are there any other frontier technologies or any future trends that you are currently seeing?
1: Well, I would say like I, I've kind of stepped down into reputation systems and hats as kind of what's frontier in DAO governance. I would kind of tricky up has this really cool term called constrained delegation, which is this idea of like giving people specific authorities within the DAO. That was one of the inception points for seeing this, seeing, being able to see like this as an important aspect of DAO. So I think that the category... Uh, Constrained delegation, I would even say like automated constrained delegation is like a whole revolution in DAO governance waiting to happen. So that's like one frontier I'm really excited about. I would also say the intersection of AI and DAOs. So I say like automated constrained delegation, generally speaking, the A in DAOs is where I'm the most excited. So I think about a lot of different uh, mechanisms uh, or other forms of automation that will support us getting... Uh, DAOs to be more efficient, uh, more effective, better at coordinating. And broadly speaking, I would say that's, I've been playing with this term, a DAO contributor as a service. It's not very web three, but if you think about like software as a service, you started to, you know, instead of having like a CD that you bought or, you know, you have on-prem solution or whatever, um, and you went to cloud, you have this, Service that you are able to purchase for your business, and that created more efficiencies in the business. DAO contributor as a service is like you have a contributor, which is a, from an agent-based modeling frame. I think of a DAO contributor as an agent, and an agent can be either a person, a DAO itself, like a multisig or a pod or a whole separate DAO, or an algorithm or a contract, say, and it's acting within the network of that DAO. And ultimately like it's a black box, like it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's a person or a DAO or an algorithm, I wanna get some value out of it and I wanna compensate it fairly for the value that it creates. And it needs to create um, outputs that are meaningful to and useful to the rest of the DAO members. And as long as it does that, then I wanna like put that agent into our coordinate system or whatever compensation model we're using to determine where the value was created and allocate comp to it. DAO contributor as a service is a, a concept where you have more people building algorithmic versions of the contributor. So maybe it starts as an individual that plugs in kind of like a services DAO, or an, an, an a freelancer from a services DAO, or it's a multi-sig or it's a pod, like a kind of a yeah, super liquid team. Yeah, so you, you have this uh, people who are like kind of plugging in in different areas and and creating value. And then those services, DAOs are actually going to try to automate themselves over time to get better margins on their work or like higher efficiency per headcount. So I think that's where a lot of the emergent automation in DAOs will come from. It's like, okay, we need, okay, we go to, go to Lama for treasury management and Lama just does treasury management for everyone and builds economies of scale and and expertise in, in like how they do that. And then they create automations, which makes them more efficient and more profitable. And then they're able to like spread that. And because they're, I don't know about Lama specifically, but because that services DAO is actually decentralizing, like we don't have to worry about them ideally and best case scenario, and I tend to be an optimist, so forgive me, but we don't have to worry about them. like capturing the market and then actually doing things that are against the values of the individuals or holding hostages of the other people that have, uh, have been using their services. I think what emerges from this is just like this hyper automated, but also safe, decentralized, not capturable, kind of like intermingled DAO to DAO collaboration that allows the whole ecosystem to profit from higher amounts of automation at each
0: of these DAO levels. I understand, which uh, brings me to the next question that it seems that this last use case could actually give contributor as a service, right? Like a contributing DAO member or community member as a service could uh, give rise to let's say a lot of sub-DAOs or micro-DAOs as well who have very strong expertise in their area and they might be renting out their time resources or anything else to other DAOs as well. And there could be an interconnected graph of DAOs so I'm just um, rambling, but uh, did I catch your thought?
1: 100%, yeah, you got it. And I saw this a lot, the fundamental model happening at Raid Guild, where people are working on client projects as developers, designers, coming in, people who are doing account management. We you know, we call them uh, rangers and warriors and clerics, but the uh, people who have this expertise, and they're in this guild together, coordinating to accomplish all these different tasks, but then we go out into these other, you know, to serve client projects and we sit in their DAO or we sit in their, their organization and get, get things done and they care that the thing is done and they care that it creates value for them at a fair price. Not, They're not saying we need XYZ person to do it. They're saying we, we want it done. So this is a very different model from web two and previous companies. It's kind of an evolution of this remote work and the complete abolishment of button seat time. And, really focusing on the value creation you see that sometimes and even before web 3 but especially in web 3 where we're working on the one of the fundamental problems and questions which is how do we measure value creation and how do we reward uh, people and give them fair compensation for the value that they create this is like very aligned with automation and then because ownership is fun- fundamental like everyone gets tokens for their not everyone gets tokens but tokens and, and ownership is, is foundational to the DAO concept. Uh, it's also a very incentive aligned to support automation. And I think this is one of the ways that DAOs are going to overtake traditional uh, uh, organizational forms because they're, they're so prone and accepting automation.
0: Absolutely, I was uh, doing a little bit of research in a bunch of consulting DAOs as well, or service DAOs. And it seems that the use case could really fit in well into tokenomics DAO. They have a bunch of channels where people really congregate for a particular consulting project. So they work on it together. Obviously, they charge a particular revenue from the client, and then they do the distribution. It's very early days, but I think uh, this this use case could plug in over there. Is what I could sense. And apart from that, there is another. DAO called is Twali, and uh, what they are doing is that there are a bunch of projects that are coming from expert networks or freelancing networks Uh, the clients are looking into the profiles maybe or evaluating a bunch of uh, community members as well and uh, eventually uh, the DAO bids for the particular project and then uh, the project comes in and then actually it gets uh, distributed within few of the community members amazing yeah and uh, I think um, uh, 2022 was an exciting year. Someone rightly mentioned earlier in January, February that this could be the year of DAOs. If not, the year of DAOs, definitely the start of the year of the DAOs. And it will uh, definitely um, uh, go on a, on a high path. And um, uh, people are also discussing currently um, uh, the future of DAOs. Imagine if it is DAO you know, 1.0, how could DAO 2.0 look like in two, three years from now? Like, uh, do you have any thoughts, views or opinions?
1: I think that's what we've been talking about. Um, and I also want to call back to say that this is, this is not DAO 1.0. This is maybe DAO 3.0 already. There's a lot of hard work that went in, you know, in the Ethereum white paper, there's references to DAOs, decentralized organizations, DAX as a main use case for smart contracts and, uh, the DAO was formed and hacked in 2016 and then, uh, we had dow stack and colony and later aragon who were creating these full stack DAO frameworks uh, for years hacking on trying to figure out how do you distribute ownership and how do you measure reputation and how do you uh give away governance power and how do you compensate people and there's so much we, we stand on the shoulders of many 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 giants who have tried to figure this stuff out and we're just we're poking above the surface in really interesting ways now i think that there was a lot of people who got excited about the investment potential and then that it, it didn't work out. So we're seeing a wave of a kind of like an inflow of capital and then the capital decreasing associated with the market crash. And most of the people that I'm talking to are like, yeah, it happens. I'm still heads down building because I'm looking at the 10 year horizon and I don't think it's just opium. I really think that there are people who are values aligned with, this coordination technology and this, this pro-social future where collaboration is more effective and easier than competition, this is the dream of DAOs. And I, I just I just see people super, super focused and excited on it. So I think constrained delegation, more automation, effective reputation systems that feel human, uh, especially at, uh, attestation-based reputation systems where we have I have an experience as a human being, I have an emotional experience of a connection with you. And then in that moment, like a, like a tip, uh, I want to give you something. I want to I note uh, whether it's a, a verifiable credential or an SPT. I want to I say, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And uh, you, that's, that's the foundation of a, a meaningful reputation system that's subjective and meaningful in a local part of our, our network together. These are the types of innovations that I think are going to be really formative to uh, the coordination power increasing in DAOs. Uh, And then once once we reach the point where groups of people are able to use DAOs to coordinate in ways that are more effective than traditional organizations, that's when we'll see the next DAO based crypto rally. Where you say, oh, my God, this group of people got together. They're able to coordinate toward a global goal using only local context. They all share the same values and they're all profiting from the, you know, they're all exceeding. They're all getting value from their contributions in excess of where they can do that elsewhere. Uh, yeah, this is going to take over. This is going to take over the, the organizational form all over the place. But we need to be able to coordinate more effectively than we already are. And, and it's just we're stuck right now on like the investment clubs and uh, you know very minor protocol parameter adjustments when it comes to uh, full consensus governance. And we need to be able to manage uh, larger amounts of complexity in DAOs before we're like making bold claims about what DAOs are for and what DAOs can really do.
0: Got it. And uh, what I could sense is that there's a lot of um, uh, opportunity for uh, communication engineering within the community or the DAOs as well, which means that uh, there's a lot of chaos in DAOs, right? I mean, initially, when you just enter a DAO, sometimes you feel a lot of noise, less of signals, but it takes a little bit of settling time to understand who are the folks who are really driving it and you taking a very active part in the DAO rather than a, just being a very passive uh, you know, participant. So um, the communication strategy, a lot of DAOs are currently formulating, but I think there's a lot of space for uh, evolution, like, you know, to find out what is the right way to engineer the communication and uh, which parts to automate, which parts to have people to people uh, touch point or contact, which one to go via video audio, which one to go via mails, discord, telegram. You know, there's a lot of um, engineering uh, that could be done for the efficient uh, structure of a DAO as well, because the DAO only functions when the people are effectively coordinating or communicating via the digital plane, isn't it?
1: A hundred percent. I think there's a lot we can learn here from organizational design. There's people who study this and are experts at it. And I definitely think it's uh, it's um, very nascent in DAOs. Right. Uh, um, my friend Jay tweeted this meme of, uh, from, I forget what movie it's from, but it's like a beggar that's saying, "Oh, can I, you know, please, sir, can I have a, and it, and the thing is crossed out and it's a, a, a crumb of context, <laughs> like jumping into a new project. <laughs> so it's like, really, I thought it was really fitting. Cause it's like, you could jump into a disc rip. What's going on here. Oh, just show up at the town hall for like several weeks. And maybe you start to, yeah, if you really care, you'll come. It's like not a great way to get people onboarded. So, yeah, I'm just saying back to you what you said, which I completely agree with.
0: And you're right. I think uh, memes could be uh, one effective um, uh, channel of communication between millennials and Zs and the younger populace, primarily because uh, they understand each other well uh, by exchanging emoticons, memes, etc. And that really you know, triggers a little bit of emotional context to that as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm also very excited for, for new, uh, completely new innovations in, in ways that we communicate. Like I was jamming with someone about this idea of an organization-specific Twitter, where imagine instead of Discord or Slack, you have Twitter, but it's just for your organization. You follow, maybe there's 100 people in your DAO, and you follow and unfollow people that are outputting the things that are relevant to your context. And, and then when you publish something, you just publish it to everyone. It's like, it's like being on an email listserv and people can like uh, mute and unmute what they want to read from each individual person. I was thinking about like one example of maybe completely new communication formats that will support you know, getting things done.
0: Nick, what are your opinions on uh, token gated DAOs and, um, you know, DAOs that are very open for all and DAOs are very um, uh, open to people, right? I mean, it's uh, open source. Sometimes people just come in, go out and uh, there's a lot of uh, fluidity uh, in the Discord service as well. But uh, Lobster DAO is a very uh, pure play token gated DAO. If you have the NFT, you have access to their uh, internal groups, etc. So do you see a trend over there as well?
1: Yeah, I don't know lobster doubt specifically, but I'll say that there, I really love Forefront's contributor zones model where you have basically like layers and you can come into this more centered uh, concentric circles as you earn your way in. So maybe the outermost layer is uh, like just Twitter follow or something where you can like get information and then another layer is like jumping in the discord like what is it required to get into the discord and then maybe another layer is a like a higher level of permissioning in the discord where you see new channels and you have to be you have to have tokens to access that and then maybe another layer is like you have to have to contribute on github or submitted completed a bounty or or contributed a certain amount of uh money to get a token or whatever it is ultimately the principle here is around creating a burning hot sun for the the people who are contributing at the core attention is scarce and limited and, and in this in this world right now we have so our attention is pulled on by so many different things whether they're new projects or just social media generally and focus is very rare So protecting the focus of the people who are working together and enabling them to coordinate in a low noise environment, like curating signal is really important for DAO coordination. So I think if we design with that principle, but also focus on decentralization, that's, that's the tension to try to balance, to make sure that we're being like fair and open and inclusive, but also accomplishing our goals.
0: Absolutely. And um, one of the questions a lot of uh, folks have been asking that if you were to start a DAO, if you're participating in a DAO, usually you have a foundation that actually replenishes the treasury part of it, right? So if there are like 100 plus community members who are super engaged and enthused, uh, how do you uh, manage the treasury and how do you actually fill the treasury? I mean, could you shed some light on that because not a lot of people know about it?
1: Well, I think that there are a lot of business models that have been created for organizations in the past. And roughly speaking, DAOs will kind of like skeuomorphically recreate those models. So you have fundraising is one way to fill treasury. But then if you don't create some sort of sustainable revenue stream, you're just going to have to keep fundraising, which ultimately is, is probably not going to work. And then there's some generating revenue based on fees and a protocol, generating revenue based on services, getting people to continue donating from some sort of uh, point they philanthropic project uh, or membership dues, like those are all great models. And I think those we see those a lot in DAOs. There are new business models that I think are emerging. Uh, one example I would say is uh, Jacob from Zora wrote this awesome article about hyperstructures. And one of the kind of key ideas in the piece is that there's you don't necessarily need to have a fee active in order to create value for a token. Just the opportunity for the token holders to turn on a fee, if, if there's a fee parameter in a protocol and it's set to 0%, and the token holders could set that to 5% or something later on, then that itself might be enough of a promise that it would create inherent value that the token holders would hold. I don't understand it fully, This is a, this is kind of a, a nascent concept in my mind. But I like it in terms of business model innovation. It's, it's an interesting conceptually interesting. And I think we start to see things like that, where you know, we want to see tokens that have inherent value. There's inherent value from governance rights. There's inherent value from ownership. There's inherent value from community. But like, wh- how do you measure those things? And, and then how do we make sure that uh, our DAOs are doing things that are sustainable?
0: Got it. I think uh, I caught this beautiful line, which is, um, which is quoted by, uh, I think Nawal was saying in a podcast, he said he was quoting Adam Smith, and he said capital is actually stored uh, labor. And giving a path towards uh, the DAO treasury as well, meaning that whatever uh, tokens that get distributed among a lot of community members, people have to earn their way in. Like in the concentric circles, you said, you know, they start from the outer circles, but uh, they keep on going towards the center or the core of it. And uh, as they really progress in their DAO journey within that particular DAO, they keep on accumulating a lot of tokens, their native tokens, etc., and um, uh, eventually, um, uh, the future of DAO also is dependent on a lot of these early adopters, right? I mean, uh, many of the folks keep on contributing for a good amount of months before even getting their first token. So there's a lot of altruistic ability in, uh, in contributing to these DAOs as well.
1: 100%. And I think that there's people see the promise of fair compensation, eventual fair compensation. Like when you we have this idea of uh, retroactive public goods funding, that's like someone went and built something valuable and eventually we determined that it was valuable and it had created enough value. So let's flow value back to those people. I think that when we have a, the substrate fundamentally collects data about our contributions, like you can see the events that I've gone to, you can see the commits that I've made, you can see the DAO votes that I've participated in. Eventually, I'm hopeful that people can see the way that I was behaving and showing up and creating value in the ecosystem and that I would be rewarded in a way that's fair for for that in a really nuanced way. And I think that that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is that there's, like you said earlier, there's so much learning that's happening. Oftentimes, like, thinking about, oh, how much money did I waste in gas or how much money did I waste on, you know, trying to, like, participate in these different projects. It's like, okay, learning fees, learning fees, learning fees, you know, like, this is, this is my master's in, <laughs> in Web3. It's just like paying for all this different experimentation. So it's definitely, I feel very lucky that I, I get to do that. And that's uh, oftentimes like w- one of the ways that I think about it.
0: My last question around DAO would be, um, now, what are your favorite, some of your DAO tooling uh, platforms, softwares, et cetera, which you really like? That would be an interesting insight.
1: Totally. Uh, I'm a big DAO House fan. Uh, I've got a lot of friends at DAO House and... Uh, I think that one of the things that's coming down the pipe that's really interesting and aligned with my thesis around automation is the, the Moloch v3 uh, shamans. So being able to do arbitrary code execution as a DAO and being able to create kind of modules that uh, many DAOs can, can fork and reuse creates a composable automation ecosystem. And I'm super bullish on that. I would say recently working on hats, we have, I think I talk about it as having two parts to get to DAO native authority delegations. The first portion is hats protocol, which is a, a set of contracts that's, that uh, emit and revoke NFTs that represent roles. So the a DAO is going to like interact with hats. Uh, it will give you know, create NFTs and then mint them to specific wallets where they can be revoked from those wallets. And then the DAO will also... Take the token IDs from those NFTs and plug them into access control and permissioning tooling, so that they can do things like token gating. So the, some of the, the the other tooling that I'm really excited about is like all the people who are working on the token, uh, the access control and permissioning tooling. Lit Protocol, I, I really love. I think uh, David over there is doing amazing, amazing work. Fundamental mathematical work as well, which is very impressive to me. And then Guild.xyz. And also Sobol, we were talking about Sobol earlier, and like the, just the, the network mapping and visibility components of it. You know, we think about like the hard powers of HATS being like multi-sig signer, giving someone access to a Twitter account or a Discord, soft powers like work stream leadership or someone being identified as an external representative of a DAO. And then all this like interconnectivity in the composable ecosystem of DAO tooling. So I'm I'm really excited for those. Also, Collabland, I think is a really fundamental tool. This is we're creating this petri dish of experimentation that's composable and and where emergence can actually come through. And I think that's like the the this really exciting moment of the precursor to what's next in DAOs.
0: I'm just uh, betting on the fact that in the coming years there would be a particular tool for sure that will at least uh, challenge the current uh, supremacy of Discord as well, which is like the backbone of a lot of DAOs. So um, a lot of innovation is definitely um, uh, on our way. And uh, yeah, to, um, uh, thanks a lot, um, Nick, for um, this conversation. It was really super valuable, especially for folks who want to learn more about DAOs and uh, understand the economics mechanics of the DAOs as well. Before we uh, close our uh, session, um, would love to know any of your favorite books or uh, reading materials or something that you really like in your, uh, you know, that three exposure?
1: I'm reading three books right now. The first one is The Innovator's Dilemma by Clay Christensen. Um, Spencer recommended this to me because of talking about trying to get the most macro frame on what DAOs are in terms of the evolution of technology and maybe trying to draw from the frame to articulate it to people who are not just like in the space and excited about it. So second book is a book called Play. Uh, by Stuart Brown, um, and play is just this is the study of the science of play and how it shapes our brain and the ways that we interact with it. And I've been trying to have more play in my life in in healthy ways. And then the third one is a book called Untethered, uh, which is by uh, my friend Sini. and uh, it's a really wonderful book that analyzes our relationship to technology and makes recommendations on on how we can have a healthier uh, relationship to it. So. Being, you know, con- constantly immersed in the metaverse and Zoom and Discord and Twitter, and then even, so, you know, socially with video games. Uh, my personal exploration right now is like how I can be have a healthy relationship to it and, and maintain kind of physical and mental fitness alongside this this wild metaverse journey.
0: Thanks a lot for the suggestion, Snake. Uh, it was lovely talking to you, and uh, yeah, connecting with you as well after a long time. It was good to speak with you. Yeah,
1: great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your thoughtful questions and and beautifully held space. Great to see you and I hope to talk to you soon.
0: Thank you so much for listening in. If you like the episode, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and connect with us on the socials. Buckminster Fuller rightly said, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Have a great day.